Let's go, boys. The Street Press Podcast with Sean Fraser. For a start, there are not enough white men doing podcasts. I've got to always support that when that comes along. I was talking to a mate today at a baby queue. We didn't cook a baby. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that yeah. was. I just want to thank you. Yeah, no, it was me. He wouldn't shake our hand until he finished putting on his glove. Imagine what he's like during the pandemic. <laughs> well, I got you here for the podcast after your big night last oh. night, so I'm stoked with that. I get a thrill knowing that you're doing what you're doing. That's good. Well, I don't know what I'm doing today. We're just sort of just winging it. Did you moon Kylie Minogue? Yeah. Hello and welcome to the Street Press Podcast, episode number five. Wow. I can't believe it. We are already five episodes in. Every Wednesday I'm dropping in an episode and... Uh, the time just flies. It just rolls on by. Wednesday just comes by so quickly. Last week, actually, in fact, I released two podcasts. I did the Wednesday drop, but I also put one out on the Monday, a little cheeky bonus episode. That was with Mick Thomas from Weddings, Parties, Anything. You might have missed it. Um, you know, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that one. It was a really good conversation as well, uh, really insightful. But today, we have got Peter Clark. From Angela's Dish. They're a four piece outfit from the Central Coast, a pop rock, pop punk band, and they're a real success story in these parts. They are just a couple of guys from the coast who went on to do big things, made it into the ARIA charts, have released a handful of albums, EPs as well. Pete, I've known for a number of years. We worked in radio together. It seems like this is where I find all my. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all my uh, guests from radio, but that's just the way it works. They sort of, they're, they're parallel uh, radio and music, obviously. Um, you know, when, when you work in radio, you always bump shoulders with musicians. It's just bound to happen. And it's not just people that walk into the studio to, you know, have a chat to the host, but it's also people that you work with, people in the tech department, in the newsroom, um, you know, down in the sales team, For some reason, I'm always bumping into musicians and good musicians too. Uh, They just walk the hallways in radio stations. And that is the story about Pete. That's where I met him. I met him in the hallways at uh, Triple M on the Central Coast. And funnily enough, he also is the owner of my favourite bar. I love going there. Bar Toto. It's in Edelong. And, And Pete... He is the mastermind behind that. He's the owner. We chat about plenty of stuff today. We talk about that bar, Bar Toto. We talk about how the band got ripped off in the music industry. A really crummy sort of story there. I don't want to give away too much, but the band thought one of their songs was just sort of going nowhere, but little did they know that it actually was doing really well overseas. Just a few people weren't telling them that. And uh, they were like, well, where's the money? And we'll get into that as well. Also, we talk about how one of the boys in the dish is in a cover band, a Tony Hawk's cover band. And there's a really, really cool story about this band. The band's very good. Um, But how the band ended up meeting the real Tony Hawk, being flown to America to hang out with Tony Hawk and play this wild gig with him. It's just a, it's a fascinating story. Also, we we dive into what it's like to play big festivals in Australia like Soundwave. Do you remember Soundwave? Did you ever go to Soundwave? That was my favourite festival of all time. Big Day Out came in second, actually. People would sit there and go, oh, what about the Big Day Out? I, I love them both, but there was something about Soundwave that you had the, the punk rock, you had the metal. It was right up my alley. And there were so many great bands, Amberlynn that played, Blink-182, Green Day. Even on the heavier side, you had Metallica. It was the most sensational day out. Me and my friends, we would just head to Strathfield Pub in the day, get tanked, 
head on out to Olympic Park in Sydney, have the best time of our lives. It was, it's sad. It's sad to think that it's no longer around. I, I really miss Soundwave. I talked to Peter about what it's like to play a festival like that, what that day's like. And I also talked to him about his strange encounter with Jared Leto. So they, the band went on tour with a lot of big bands. Amberlynn, like I mentioned before, they went on tour with them, but they also went on tour with 30 Seconds to Mars. So he uh, he rubs shoulders with a couple of the guys from that band and uh, there's, a, there's a funny story in there as well. I hit him up. I was like, mate, I've got this podcast. Can you come around my house? He said, all right, I'll come. No. <laughs> No, he was actually he was he was happy to come around. Just I think he was at work that day, and then he came, he passed on in to my house on his way home. So it was really nice. I got a coffee going for him. I sat him down in the lounge. I got the microphones right there, and I just said, "Let's let's let's have a chat. Let's talk the Angela's Dish story." So here it is, my interview with Peter Clark from Angela's Dish. This is fantastic. How you going, mate? Good man. Good. What's been happening? What's, what's, what's been happening today? Today? Oh, mate, just putting out fires with the bar and you know, getting the kids to school and living life, going out for a walk, enjoying the sunny day. It's very adult yes. of you. <laughs> very grown up. Now, Bar Toto, it's a bar in Edelong. It is one of my favourite bars on the Central Coast. And as you turn up here today, and we were just having a chat about what you were doing, and you told me it's actually your bar. Yeah, yeah. So I have a partner in the bar and we um we opened it in that summer of 2012, 2013. Um, wife and I just, you know, kind of resettled on the coast back down in Edelong and um, there was a little cafe down the road that was closed at four o'clock. It was licensed and um, I'd go there for a coffee every morning. I said, oh, no, we should you know, do some drinks in the evening, see where this goes. And so then we started you know, doing that kind of things, kind of got busy, opened up more days and after about 18 months of that, restructured the business uh, partnered up and it's kind of that's what we've been doing for the like last 10 years i've had a few cocktails from you as well you do a good job thank you <laughs> now uh we first met a couple of years ago now yeah, working ago. in radio so you're a multi-talented man you used to do i think it was you're working in the sound department there yeah doing the um commercial production there is radio something you've, you you love still or well i got, got to a fork in the road i do love radio this bar kind of opportunity kind of came up so is that kind of fork in the radio sticking the radio or do I try something new? And at that time, we had just gone back from the States recording with Dish. We're kind of going through a bit of uh, legal issues we had with our manager at the time. So we're kind of taking a bit of time to reset. We're kind of working in different areas. We've been up on the Gold Coast working and just, yeah, a bit of a fork in the road. So I just don't think, I just think I'm a bit tired of, you know, kind of chasing those opportunities. And it's also when the radio station was being sold. So there's a lot of layoffs. Um, it was just a very, bit of an unknown you know, market to head into. So we're like, let's, let's you know, go hard with this bar and see where it takes us. And 10 years has just flown, yeah. When I think about Angela's Dish, I think about that time. The music on the Central Coast, like the scene, and everyone was doing well. Yeah, it was a fantastic time because we were just finishing school when um, $1 Short were out having you know, a bit of a breakaway uh, from the coast and going well. And they'd do that at the local shows. And so we'd go into the under-18 shows and they try and stick around for the over-18s. And you'd see, you know, like the numbers and after the fall and in the grey, all those guys opening for them. And so we started doing our own own shows. So we'd like play like someone's party or we'd play like at a church hall in the area. And then um, you'd meet other bands and you know, we'd bring some bands up from like, you know, Melbourne and we'd go, well, we'll kind of show swap. So we'll put on a show up here, then we'll go down the following weekend and do a show with you down there. So as you're kind of cutting your teeth... Along the way, Trent in One Dollar Short always had a music shop. So 
it was kind of like the place you'd go to kind of cross paths with everyone else in the yeah. East Coast of music. Yeah. yeah, that's it. So you'd go there, he'd be behind the counter and, you know, you'd you know, tie a kick a few guitars and, <laughs> and ask him about, you know, what this pedal does, what these. And he was always very patient with everyone. And um, just being through kind of going with that kind of shop there, you'd, you'd you know, like Mark Warner would always, from after the fall, would always be, you know, behind the counter filling in for Trent when he's not there. So you kind of, you know, pick each other's ears, go, oh, what are you guys doing? Your plan coming up? And eventually they'd take us out on the road to support them and, you know, you start doing the local shows with them. It's almost like you, you created some sort of family just yeah. from the music shop. Yeah, exactly. I was going <laughs> to say to you, do you think that, you know, a band like One Dollar Short, when they kicked off and started going big, I was going to say, because they got bigger, did that help you guys out? Massively, yeah. Like, they, they opened the doors for the Central Coast being kind of noted as a, as a spot. How did things start picking up, Steve? Was there someone at a show that noticed you? Uh, did you have stuff up on MySpace or Pure Volume? I remember that yeah. <laughs> back in the day. Well, what was it that sort of gave you that next, you know, step up? We had an EP we did, like a demo EP we did earlier um, that we just called Edgeless Dish. We'd be handing those out to people doing little print runs. And then we had Lie Die. I, I think one or two songs in there that really resonated with a few people. And so that kind of got us, you know, a bit of interest from, you know, some managers and um, some labels. So we got, we did some work with um, Boomtown Records, who are now unified. For us, where we really kind of started to connect with people was like down in Melbourne for us. Okay, so things, yeah. obviously Central Coast band, but uh, things were starting to kick off in a city that's uh, a thousand kilometres away. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. And I think because we're having a bit of talk and a bit of success down there, um, it was filtering back to... The coast, I think with like the coast, I think with Australia in general, like you can, many, a lot of talent goes under the radar until they go offshore or go interstate at that time. And then when they've had success in another area, people back home go, oh, I should pay attention to it. Well, yeah, the Melbourne scene's big time. You know, that's the Hollywood, isn't it? Yeah, Um, for us it was, yeah. Melbourne has always sort of had that edge when it comes to the music scene. They're a bit more arty down there. They're, um, I don't know, they they just love music. Yeah, it's a massive live music culture. It's good because Angela's Dish is such a good little success story for people on the Central Coast and bands on the Central Coast because I remember just watching you guys sort of break through. And then the thing that was cool was just turning on Channel V and then seeing your faces there as well, you know. <laughs> yeah. Like there's a few high-quality like video clips that were getting made and stuff, um, yep. Soft November and probably around 2008 yeah. uh, era. Yeah. And I think you were in the ARIA. You'd made it into the into the count, right? Yeah, we got the, no, the air and the ARIA charts, yeah. which is no big deal for us. So 2011 rolls around, you go to the States. Yeah, when did we go? So we did, um, we'd done Light Eye, we did another EP, which was kind of a bit more influenced by how our manager wanted us to kind of start getting our flavour together. And then we did um, an album that we, you know, did up at, up at the Grove. And it was just, when we got it back, we just like, like with Soft November, we'd, um, it just, it just wasn't, we weren't really happy with it. Like we had a couple, you no, know, Soft November got pushed and got a bit of a pickup on radio. It was kind of at the time when um, Strokes were kind of, you know, coming yeah. out as well and we'd just gotten off the tour with Amblin and um, so we had a lot of hype on it. We just had this record that we, there was definitely people who were interested and was going well and were getting audience from it. But apart from maybe one or two tracks, we are like, oh, we could do better. So it wasn't so much that you were unhappy with, say, a mix or anything mm. like that. You just sort of reflected on what you heard and what you'd written and gone, nah. That's it. So then we started to um, work on the next album and we wanted to do it the way that we wanted to do it. So a friend of ours, um, Sonny True Love, so we went to his, his house out at um, 
I think he's in Monovale at the time. He's in an apartment there. He's kind of showing us what he'd been doing. So he'd kind of done EPs up to that point. And we're like, let's let's do this. Let's do an album. Like he was, you know. So we went to so where we rehearsed at um, Cheggs's house, you know, a little studio out the back. And so we got everything set up. Then we just did it ourselves there. We created the album that we we really were proud of. And um, but then. Uh, so we delivered it to our label and management and um, they kind of, just, kind of just shelved it in a way, like a little bit kind of everything we're doing, we're pushing. Did they give you any sort of uh, reason why they shelved it? No, I think they just were losing steam, losing money on other projects that they're right. working on. Um, so we kind of keep you know, plugging along. We'll tour that for a while and um, then we're like, okay, we've got to do – Gonna do another album and we'll do it with Sonny again and we'll go do it with Elvis um, over in the States. So Elvis um, and Sonny, they're they're very, very close. Lately he's recorded he recorded a lot of the Slash stuff, recorded yep. um all the Wolf Van Halen stuff, um, all the Ronnie Radke. Oh, um, okay, his news. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he's kind of you know, been working on that for years in a beautiful um, studio. So we went there just after the a couple of years after the GFC. Down to Orlando, spent a month in Orlando recording nice. a couple of weeks there. While we were kind of there, we found out our management had released one of our records into Italy and uh, Switzerland yep. on a record label over there, but we weren't seeing anything out of it. It was all the money was going to him. Yeah, right. So, Hang on. So money's going to the record label or going to some the management, yeah. And so on a no, release it over, in a no, couple of countries that we were like, oh, at the time, like we you know, it's not our, not the territory we were interested in, kind of tackling in well with the record label that they were working with over there at least. But it was going well. We kept getting all these requests on Facebook from um, people in Italy going, oh, "I heard your song, I love it." It was on rotation on Virgin Radio over there. Yeah, yeah. And then we're going, "What? What is all this?" And then when we drilled into it, all the sales and money out of that kind of stuff was all going into his pocket and. Oh, you're he kidding. had yeah. When we dressed it to him, he's like, "Oh, I don't, I know nothing about it." And we really had to drill in to yeah figure it out. So that's when um we you know, went to exit. Do you know how much you might have you might have lost there? Uh, no idea. No, no idea. But yeah, so it was a no big thing to overcome. So we had this album that we did with Elvis just in our pocket, yeah, ready to go. We fired management, so had no management, no label, an album ready to go, and. They're just ourselves to you know, get together and promote it. <laughs> that is tough to yeah. think about. No, it's crazy, man. The band is still somewhat together. I mean, back in 2020, I think you guys were going to play a gig at the Manning Bar. Yeah, we played Mary's with um, Anaskeptic and Seraph's Skull on the weekend before the lockdown. Uh, so, so you got one last in. Yeah, good. yeah so it's been – we played a show every year, I think, for like 19 years to that point. Now, I was, on the, I was looking at the um, – Source of all truth, Wikipedia. Yeah. <laughs> where all the truths are. And this quote came up. There has been ongoing tension between the brothers as Joshua has often lived in the shadow of his older sibling. As a result, Joshua has made several solo albums. The pair continue to be brothers to this day. <laughs> I gather one of them wrote that or? <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe. Josh has definitely created some great um, great tunes on his own with, um, with his, his alter ego. Yep. Yeah, and it's been been really, really cool. And what about you? Have you done any solo stuff on your own or, you know, do you, do you sit around in the studio or do you sort of, uh, you know, let them, you know, piece together the, the skeleton of a song and then you jump in and yeah, put in so the bass? Yeah, so the way we would songwrite, like Mick and Josh, they'd come up with the bones of a song oh. and, you know, Scotty and I or Cheggs and I would then, once we get together, they might have a structure, might have a melody. We would then 
you know, kind of piece it together and go, oh, why don't we change this little arrangement or you know, put our flavours. You know, some songs will be quite, you know, he's just a skeleton, other times will be like a very strong vision yeah. of what we need to do. So what I do when we go to like doing like artworks and you no know, kind of merchandising, um, website kind of stuff. It is expensive um, to get that stuff done you know, outsource it, um, website building and, and all that sort of stuff. And obviously the website builders out there do a great job. But mm. uh, but if you can try and save as much cash as you possibly can by doing it yourself. It's, oh, totally. Uh, we're we'll kind of that mindset. If we could do it ourselves, we'll figure it out and do it ourselves. Mm. You know, with staging and lighting, that kind of stuff, we, you know, we'll take a projector on tour to you know, have a moving backdrop yeah. at the time. So you get down the shows and you're rigging it all up and – Running a laptop off the side and trying to program it outside so times with the song. See, the thing I, I love about that and in in what you're saying there is it's just the care factor. It's the respect for the audience. You know, you guys could just rock up with your gear one Saturday night and just sort of plug in and play, mm. but you understand that these people have probably paid 30 bucks, they've worked all week. They wouldn't mind coming to something decent, and you put on a decent show. So you go that extra mile by putting up the um, yeah. projector and that sort of thing. That's it's that's, great. That's what we tried to do. Like I think a lot of that stemmed back to when we were first doing shows, like in two thousand two, um, like in those church halls and stuff. Often they didn't have a stage, so we'd have friends who were like, you know, apprentice carpenters at the time. So we'd come in the afternoon, we'd make build a stage. <laughs> and black it all out and get the lights all up. Well, they do that for a case of beer or... Exactly, yeah. <laughs> we had great mates like that. And um, so it was, it was, yeah, really, really cool. Um, it was just a good community around that. And we were talking about Chris before. Um, and actually, before we turn on the microphones, we were talking about uh, a few of the projects that he's got on the side. He's with Pliny. Also, he's in the Tony Hawk's The Cover Band. So basically, the band is the songs that you used to listen to on Tony Hawk's The Game. The band's gone and learnt all of them incredibly well too. Yeah. And Tony Hawk found out about the band. Yeah, so it, Tony was getting tagged. Oh, you know, check out this band, check out this band. And because he's you know, quite active on Twitter, I came across you know, the boys. And I think the way the timeline worked out, he came out to Australia doing the tour. The guys had just played Vivid and it got shut down because it was too noisy at a celebrate the night event that's <laughs> like, right um, and uh, they got interviewed they, they, on tv they got, yeah they went on the on the news get interviewed about it and the whole thing kind of started blowing up for him and so tony had, has his own festival in the states and um invited them to come over and play you know, at their festival so and they hit it off so ever since then <laughs> whenever there's a um a tony hawk has a presence in australia or something yeah. big's over there they, they get involved i think tony yeah. was here recently as well yeah, yeah and i think he was having dinner, dinner with them or yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> those games, they yeah. just got me through yeah. high school and primary school. Even. They've been exactly. around forever. It was, it was all the bands we listened to in high school. Like, and a couple of guys you know, from high school I went to in you know, the band with um, Cheggs as well. Like, yeah. just kind of how life kind of comes full circle. How important and, um, were those games for that genre? Oh, man, totally. It was massive, massive for us. Like, like how, how we found new music, how yeah. um, we would be stoked to hear – an underground band that we thought would no didn't people didn't really know, yeah no go massive. Brett Gorowitz from Bad, Bad Religion. Religion, he was talking the other day about how he would give Bad Religion songs away for free to um, you know game makers and all, and and skateboarding videos and all that sort of stuff yeah. because he could see the value in it. Mm. He's dead right. Like, totally. like he wouldn't sell it. He, someone approached him and said, hey, I want your song in this skate video. He'd just go take it. Yeah. Because 
they just sit parallel skate videos oh, and, and punk music. Absolutely. Yeah, like, even like I remember like Real Big Fish, massive yeah. on there as well. I don't have those key things. It's like um, Dropkick Murphy's getting um, – It's funny, Body Jar, Body yeah. Jar uh, One yeah. in a Million, I think it was. Yeah. So I found out about Body Jar, who were from Melbourne, from <laughs> playing – Tony Hawk's game and yeah. I was like I need to find out these guys I need to get these guys CD and I'm like oh shit I remember hearing them on that Coke commercial oh, as yeah. a kid and going yeah. this is so good Neil and Colin were on the Pepsi commercial yeah. I think man when I look back and I think about those times there was a lot of punk rock music making it mainstream or commercial oh totally man and like you had there's that era of the, you know, the Warp Tour when it was coming out to Australia um, all those independent like festivals are happening as well. It was, it was just a great scene. There's yeah. such a thirst for it. I mean, even so. like in the 2010s, like uh, Soundwave. Yep. Oh, I mean, now I miss it. All. Oh man, I remember playing Soundwave and like we're up. Um, was that end of the night? Deftones were closing, and yeah. um, on station, man, they were the loudest freaking band. Like, Deftones. Deftones. Yeah. Their stage sound like okay. was freaking intense. Man. What time did you, were you guys on? Oh man, like I think like one o'clock. Fuck, that would have been amazing. So, do you remember who was on the bill? Did you bump shoulders with anyone? Uh, plus forty four were on the bill. Deftones. What's that day like of a festival? So, get up in the morning and you're going to be playing at something like Soundwave, or you're going to be playing any big uh, Australian music festival. What's that like? It's a cool experience because, you know, when it's like your first time doing it, it's very overwhelming because it's, it's very professionally run. Whereas um, <laughs> you've got to be somewhere on time yeah, at this yeah. time, um, you know. But we always loved, you know, like the, like the catering of as well because we pay ourselves like 10 bucks a day per diem, right? That's how we would get yeah, around. So okay. you get these shows and you go far out. Like this is, you know, there's actually food and water and beers here. and um, But like – there's no, you kind of got it, but it really tests you like your professionalism as well. Cause there's no sound check. You might get up and do a quick line check, which you, you're used to doing it like in a club or in a no bar or whatever, but to just walk onto a stage in front of like a you know, thousand people mm. and plug and go. And like, you don't know if your monitors are working. Yeah. Um, Cause you no, know, you don't have, you know, when you're first time around, you don't have a monitors guy that's on tour with you. You don't have a sound guy that's on tour with you. You're using all the house guys and they, they do their best and look after you. But, um, so you just kind of, you know, you jump in and you just go and you know, I hope you can hear the, the kick and the snare and the yeah and that, <laughs> go from there. And it, obviously that feeling after you've you've you accomplished playing in front of a few thousand people and, you know, the sun's up and, and that afternoon must be It's great. The rest amazing. of the day, you, you know, because you've got all access, so you just sit inside of the stage watching all your favourite bands um, and it's awesome. Like it's such a, it's such a cool experience the first time yeah. you do that yeah. and you're wrecked for the next day but then it's like in the – Back in the van, and now you're driving overnight. The next place, like when um, I remember we did we did this tour with Thirty Seconds to Mars, um, one year, and it was like the run was like it was just just a quick in and out. It was like you know, three days, like Melbourne, Sydney, yeah. Brisbane, like so Friday Melbourne, Saturday was um Sydney. Yeah, you know, bang bang bang. Yeah, and so we had to like you had to finish the show and get going, otherwise you wouldn't have enough time to make the sound check. But it was the same thing. You rock up down in Melbourne, and um, it's the first time you play like you know like to. 5,000 people and like in this catering and everything yeah. so we're like been driving all night we go oh this food hot meals <laughs> this is great um, you're watching them do sound check and they, they're a funny band you were saying obviously 30 seconds of Mars earlier you yeah. said that you were with Amberlin as well yeah um, that's big time bands to be able to support them is a huge deal what were the guys from 30 seconds like the bass player was he just joined the band he was he's he was lovely he'd just been playing i think with angels and airwaves oh yeah at that time they went on the tour with the guys so they weren't really clicked but um yeah jared leader he, he's he's out there man he 
in uh, in Sydney. Mm-hmm. The and, uh, and it happened in Melbourne as well. End of the show, the stage manager's gone out and grabbed you no know, half a dozen. No, really, no pretty ladies that were you know, in the crowd and brought them upside of stage. The show ends and Jared Leto walks over and just stands in front of um, these six ladies and kind of like scratches his chin like you're looking at a you know, painting in the gallery and just puts his hands over two of the girls and walks off. Oh. <laughs> just to pick? Yeah. Always yeah. pick them out of the line. Yeah, oh, my God. We're like, I can't believe a guy does that. Yeah. Um, and then these other girls are up there just, you no. Know, Deer in headlights, but they used to do this was way pre pandemic. But they would go and sign autographs behind the show. And that I mean, they put on all you know, the gloves and everything like they you know, mm. like doctor's gloves to sign and shake hands with people. And um, why, why were they doing that pre pandemic? I, I think um. they were a bit, a bit germy at the time. Like, um. I don't know, it makes sense now, but oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, if they were doing it now, time, you wouldn't even like, blink. Yeah, so I remember getting down to the tour room in Brisbane and um. We've gone, hey, oh, thanks for the tour, guys. It was great to have you on board. And we're chatting away. And he wouldn't shake our hand until he finished putting it on his glove. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Maybe, maybe he's ahead of the curve. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, imagine what he's like during the pandemic. He's <laughs> <laughs> probably in like a space yeah. suit or something. It you was know? funny, man. But like with the, with the Amblin guys, they were no, no great guys. And we had some of our best shows and some of our worst shows. Yeah, um, touring with them. It's really great to hear these stories. They're they're fascinating. You know the people yeah. you've been able to rub shoulders from, and just a couple yeah. of bikes from uh, from the Central Coast. That's it, man. That's it. That's some bands are now going great. Like we used to go out a lot with Delta Riggs. Um, yep. Yeah, so we, we still going, and they're doing well too. Yeah, no, those boys are no, are great. So no, we'd always we do a lot of tours with those boys. Um, <laughs> lots of fun. We were out one night. We we're out at this pub in Loxton, and everyone's got a bit rowdy, and turns into. You know, now, a water fight in the hotel lobby using the fire extinguishers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just hitting each other's faces. and um, Yeah, there's a lot, of, a lot of war stories from the road with yeah. those boys. Yeah, It's always good fun. Yeah. It's almost like... Uh it's almost like no responsibility when you're on the road. <laughs> it was, it really was, yeah. <laughs> All right, so yeah. um, new Angela's Dish, or well, old Angela's Dish, but kind of new Angela's Dish could be coming out. Yeah, um, new song soon. Yeah, new, new song soon. Uh, all that gig talk, I can't wait to see his back in action ag- again. It's going to be um, it's going to be amazing. Um, and you must be pumped, like, you know, after two uh, years of just not really being able to do much, but to be able to just jump back on the stage again. Yeah, totally. It's nice. It's the, it's the best thing. It's just so exciting being out there, you know, catching up with everyone. Yep. And just playing playing tunes that you know, mean a lot to us. Yep. Peter Clark, Angela's Dish, thanks for coming on the podcast. Don't forget, uh, anyone listening, if you want to go and check out his bar, Bar Toto and Edelong, he is the owner. He created this thing and the uh, cocktails there are magnificent. So it's, uh, it's a great joint. Peter Clark, thank you. Cheers, man. Thanks. There he is, my good mate, Pete. Thanks for coming over, mate, sitting on the lounge and talking all things Dish. We'll have to have you back on when you release that new music. I know that it's sitting in a computer somewhere, but it's just not out on the ether just yet. It's going to be awesome. I love the band. I'm not just saying that because I know him. Angela's Dish. Go check them out. They've got a few albums. They've got some EPs out. Uh, and also go check out Bar Toto. It's on the uh, main strip at Edelong. They do comedy nights as well. I was talking to Pete uh, off air, we'll say. Um, comedy All-Star Nights. The next one is on September 16. Pete Burner. He's going to be there. It's a Friday night. You can also get dinner at Safran, which is a really nice restaurant just next door. You can get the dinner 
two-course dinner, plus the show, 97 bucks. That's not too bad. Plus, you get to see Pete, and he's going to be smiling, pouring you cocktails. So it sounds like a bloody great night, and I might be heading there as well. Uh, anyways, time for this. Yay! All right, this is the segment where you can write on into the show. Hit up info at theritzykids.com or find my band, The Ritzy Kids, on Instagram, and you can write a comment, you can send an email, you could fax me. I don't have a no, I don't have a fax. Um, I'm not a hundred. But if you write a message in, it doesn't have too much profanity. I might read it out. Uh, this one's actually come in from YouTube. I just saw Mike P. He says, American Pie vibes here, loving it. So he's obviously referencing the movie. And he's talking about the song Breakthrough, which was the debut for the Ritzy Kids. Also, Velasquez Zemetary Gui. I don't think I got that right. Um, sorry, Velasquez. But he says, great song, great performance. I'm a big fan from Mexico. It's really cool. This is what I love about the internet. Somehow these songs, they find their way onto the computer screens or the mobiles of random people around the world. A lot of people put shit on technology, but I'm loving it. So thank you for writing in. I also just want to say a big shout out to those who came along to the Food and Wine Festival. I've been playing a few solo shows lately and uh, I had one on Sunday afternoon. There was plenty of food, plenty of wine. I played a few songs, Ritzy Kid songs. I played some of my own uh, solo songs and everyone sat on the lawn and drank and drank. I think there was 2,000 people that walked through the doors and uh, it was great to see all the vendors uh, lapping it up. And that was like the first festival that I've played. So it was very enjoyable. I had a few drinks there and then the temptation of, you know, all those stalls got me in the end and I grabbed a bottle of red and I said to the people uh, that I was with, let's head back to my house and drink this. So we, we got home, got stuck into some more of the red wine and I had to get up at uh, had to get up at 2.30 the next morning. So that wasn't, uh, wasn't easy, but we still did it. It's what you do. It's what you've got to do. you got to live. You don't live forever. So- well, I hope to have your ears with me next week. That sounds a little weird, but same time, same place. I'll see you then. Ta-da. <laughs>